Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Aparuta de Sangamatasa Tauraya Sodavanta Bamunjantu Satan. So always Returning to the silence here and now. That's something to remember as the present moment is silent. Silence is unconditioned, like space, like consciousness. You don't create silence. You know, we don't, we can't create it. But it's here and now, and we see it's natural. It's, it's not compounded with beauty or ugliness or any conditions. But it's available every moment. So the Buddha pointed to what is the cause of suffering, and it is what we call avicca or ignorance of the reality of here and now. So avicca doesn't mean you haven't been properly educated. It means you create your situations with your thoughts, with your emotions, the sense of yourself, your separateness, your good qualities, bad qualities, right and wrong. And that's all thinking. Those are creations of the, of the mind that we are habituated to, their habit patterns. So vicha bhajaya sankhara, this ignorance of here and now, the reality that's always present, this avicca, we create sankhara or conditions. So in the Paticca Samupada, the dependent origination, it always begins in Vicca Bhajya Sankara. And these are the habit patterns we develop through attachment to thoughts, to our to the the sense of ourself as separate individual personality. When we see ourselves always through sankaras, through the body, through the appearance of what we look like through the gender of the body, through the social conditioning, cultural conditioning, 
These are all sankara, these are all conditions, all phenomena. <clears throat> so they're not peaceful. We can talk about peace. The word peace is much, uh, you know, in terms of desirability, we, we want to live peaceful lives. But the word peace itself is a sankara. So it's, it's uh, you know, when we're looking for something that we create called peace, we miss the reality of here and now. So we want the world to be peaceful, stop wars, everybody to get along, stop quarreling, stop fighting. We have, you know, all kinds of information now about how to resolve conflict and conflict resolutions. And so we go on and on with, with meetings and, and investigations, who's at fault, what is the cause of this conflict, who's to blame, how can we resolve it, and we end up thinking about peace. But thinking about peace is not peaceful because then we create an image of peace with our thoughts, with our perceptions. And that image itself is, is, not, is, not a, is a condition, it's a sankhara, a vicha bhajya sankhara, this ignorance we create ideals of peace and happiness, <clears throat> oneness and unity, heaven, nibbana, all images of peace and the desire for peace. So in, in the reality of without avicca, then there is peace is available here and now. In the midst of a battlefield or a conflict. So it's learning to recognize it. It's not that you can't do it. Because every way you limit yourself with words through personal identities, those are not peaceful. You know, your body is not a peaceful condition. How long can you sit and be comfortable without having to change posture? Now, how long can you lie down and sleep without getting, without awakening and getting restless, having to get up? You know, the, the sangsara, the conditioned realm that we identify with, its very nature is change. And so something is changing, even if there's moments where there is no conflict and there's social harmony, it can't remain that way because the very nature of conditioned phenomena is to change. 
So what I call peak moments in individuals' experience where we feel happy, peaceful, contented, because the conditions around us give that impression. But if we haven't, if it's still coming from a vita, then we're going to be disappointed, we're going to get upset when there's a disruptive person in the sangha, when there's change that we aren't in agreement with, when whatever the weather changes, uh, situations, uh, everything seems to be going well, and then there's issues and conflicts and crises arising in one's mind or in the world, in the society. So samsara is a word for that, you know, it's a world of change and unsatisfactoriness. So when there's a vicha, then there is sankara. You know, we become lost in the realm of change and unsatisfactoriness. We become a separate personality, an individual with certain views, certain ideas, certain ideals. And so all that is sankhara, bhajaya, vinyana, or consciousness. Because even in the midst of ignorance, consciousness still is the constant reality. But we create into consciousness these conditions. Like just the way you look at yourself as a uh, 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 what your your appearance is, young or old, male or female, siladara, bhikkhu, anagarika, anagarika, you know, these are all conditions, all sankharas that we tend to strongly identify with. And they're conventions, there's nothing wrong with them, and so it's not that we're trying to annihilate sankharas, but no longer be enslaved and limited, bound by the sankharas that we experience. Because that is what we call bondage, the limitation we place on ourselves through how you perceive the perceptions you identify with or the perceptions you don't like, how you perceive others, you know, what is, you know, how we see each other in terms of we like or dislike, accept or don't accept, agree or disagree, in terms of what, not of the silence or the peace in the here and now, but in terms of the sankharas that we are obsessed with or cling to. So in this way of reflecting, you know, there's a skillful means that the Buddha, that we inherit from the Buddha, 
สเปสังขานิชาสเปธรรมอนัตตาสุดัมมา is non-personal the reality of here and now is not a singular person it's not a singular conscious individual that has a name so here and now is silent space awareness But whoever identifies with silence or space, even with the word awareness, we tend to. I hear some of you saying, "I'm not mindful. I made a mistake. I tripped on the step. I wasn't being mindful when I was walking." I spilled my coffee on my robes. I wasn't mindful when I was drinking coffee. So mindfulness is something that we create a sense of mindfulness as something we've got to get hold of or sustain. We create it into some kind of method or problem. So being aware of this mindfulness of the, of the thinking process, rather than creating a perception of mindfulness and then never being quite living up to it in the perfect way that you should live up to being perfectly mindful, samana, because that's the ideal samana, one who's absolutely mindful, 24 hours, 24/7. Like the Buddha Rupa behind me, that's the image. That's an ideal. That's an idol. That's an icon. The icons that we attach to about perfection, about what should be, and there are perceptions that we create. <clears throat> like all of us could. Create, have a perception of a perfect monastery where everybody's mindfully practicing meditation 24/7, keeping the rules of the vinayas assiduously, you know, surrendering one's ego and and self-importance to the dhamma, the ideals, you know, we can all create. Ideals of perfection. So that's the thinking process. You know, you can take thought to its superlative form, to the best, or to the worst. But life in the present moment is the way it is. It's like this: there's space, there's silence. Awareness, there's conscious awareness, timeless awareness here and now. But if we don't awaken to that, if we keep creating the samsara, the conditioned realm, and and then identifying with it 
endlessly, then there's, you know, it's like a form of bondage, of enslaved to limited conditions. So this is why the first noble truth is about suffering, because this is what, how we create this, this sense of dissatisfaction, discontentment, criticism of oneself, criticism of others. Because the world can't be an ideal world. There's no ideal person. You can create an ideal person, you can make a Buddha Rupa, an ideal image that's always mindful. <clears throat> but the sense realm that we're experiencing is not the perfection of thought, the superlatives that, that you can create with thought or make icons, beautiful icons of perfectly mindful men or women. Because we're the, these conditions that we're identified with, these human forms, are changing. They're not ideal conditions, they're not superlatives, they're like this. <clears throat> So this is where mindfulness is our reality or the door to the deathless, the gate to the deathless, the path to the deathless. It's here and now, it's not something you'll attain in the future. No matter how disciplined uh, uh, you might be about your behavior and how, uh, you know, you are a slave to your version of being mindful and being a good monk or nun, a good samana, you know, the, then the, these are ideals that are guidelines, but not absolutes. Conditioned phenomena can never be absolute. Why is that? Because they change. Absolutes are rather, you know, the sense of permanent success or permanent happiness or permanent righteousness. In our words, our phenomena. So is space, is silence, is Dhamma absolute? Well, that word doesn't apply anymore because in, in Dhamma is the natural reality of here and now. And what we create with our thoughts, with our habits, our cultural conditioning, our religious conditioning, our social conditioning, is all about being, you know, what, how things should be. It's about desire to get something we don't have or attain something we imagine or get rid of our sins or our imperfections. 
to attain, uh, to attain immortality as a physical form. How long can we live, you know? How can, I heard the other day that they hope to extend the human lifespan to 150. But even that is still, you know, you're going to die even after you reach 150. So, even though the idea of, of eternal life, immortality, is, is, you know, is, a, is an idea that we apply to a phenomena, to phenomena that we hope will last forever, but the law of Dhamma is whatever is born must cease, must die, must end. Whatever begins must end. So we keep reminding ourselves of that because we can forget. We forget all the time, get lost in our emotional habits, our personal views, opinions <clears throat> that we think are right. And if you don't agree with me, you're wrong, absolutely wrong, and I'm absolutely right. So my view of, of righteousness may be very reasonable, logical. If, if you train to think in terms of being reasonable, sensible, reason and logic are still phenomena. So can you realize the deathless because mindfulness is the door to the deathless. It's the, the empty door of here and now. And life is always about here and now. Because that's where experience, we experience this moment is like this. But then we can be thinking about something else. I mean, on the 24th of this month, we end, is the Asala Puja, and 25th is the entering of the Vasa, the Pansa. So this is, you know, we can think of the future. What am I, you know, whether we're going to spend the Pansa in Amravati, Chitturst, or some other place. Always in the present moment, even when you're making plans for the future. Like many, many of my reflections are about timelessness, akalika dhamma. Akaliko. Now time is Sankara.
Is space a sankhara? Is silence a sankhara? Is consciousness a sankhara? Can you create consciousness or silence or space? Because it's here and now, isn't it? It's not something you have to get or find. It's learning to just trust, as I endlessly remind you, trust awareness. In the Dhammapada, one of my, my favorite verses that I often quote is Appamado Amatapadang, mindfulness a conscious awareness here and now is a, the path to the deathless. It's the way to the deathless. So your true nature is deathless, is Dhamma, rather than the physical body which just gets old, gets sick and dies, even, if, even when you reach 150. What if they extend it to 200? You know, who want, you know, who wants to live to 200 years in one of these physical bodies? The aging process, you know, when you contemplate it is, it doesn't get better as you grow older. Going older is like this. You know, so now I have to use a walking stick and be very careful about turning around. Even going to the bathroom, I have to be very careful, otherwise I might fall. I even carpeted, put a nice pile of carpet in my bedroom so that when I fall down, I'll land on something soft. Well, that would be unthinkable as a young bhikkhu in the, young, in the early days to have fitted carpets in one's kushi would be unthinkable, even undesirable. So old age is like this. It's not a, I'm not complaining about it, but it is to be seen that this physical body is not a place that you want to identify with, cling to, and hope that it stays healthy and young and <clears throat> and all the best that you can hope for your physical existence, trying to make it as comfortable and as reasonable and as nice as, as you can imagine, because all these are subject to change. Last week in Florida, in Miami, one of these modern apartment houses, condominiums, collapsed all of a sudden. With all, you know, just without even a warning. 
And this looked like a fairly affluent condominium on, on the beach in Miami. So, you know, even under the best circumstances, there's things happen, accidents, storms, cyclones, fires. Planetary life is like this. It's uncertain, insecure, unstable. That's its very nature. And this isn't complaining about it because it can't be any other way. Sape, Sankara, Anicca, all conditions are impermanent. So when we operate from avicca, from ignorance of Dhamma, then that's the path to the deathless. Pamado machunopadang. Pamado is heedlessness, not awakened awareness. It's the way to the de to death. It's about loss, about dying, about ending, in in the perceptions of death, of ending. You know, to imagine your own physical death. You know, what's that going to be like? And we hope, I hope I die sitting in full lotus posture in perfect form and with a peaceful presence without any pain. You know, like you hear about yogis and Zen masters and so forth, sages. You know, we all would like to die like that, but the death is something in the future for all of us. Right now, you know, death is imagined. It can be very painful, very, you know, with terrible diseases and dementia, all kinds of horrible things are possible in the future for all of us. But getting beyond the limitations of time, time are the elements, earth, fire, water, and air. So what you identify with is very unstable, uncertain. Earth, fire, water, and air are dependent upon space. Space is dependent upon consciousness. Without consciousness, there's no space. And no space, and with space, there's a, then the four elements, the solid, liquid, heat, air element can manifest. So, you know, the, these forms are very dependent upon a space itself. And because they are sankars, then they change, they, they arise and cease in conscious awareness. So space can't be aware 
But consciousness is awareness itself, is mindfulness itself. But space is uncreated. We don't create space. These forms, these mortal forms, earth, fire, water, and air forms that we identify with, you know, we, 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 we manifest, these forms manifest in space. So space is always here and now. You know, wherever you are, whatever state you're in, whatever time of day or night, Space doesn't come and go and change. It has no boundary. We can create boundaries in space, so we create temples like this, you know, with brick walls and roof and so forth to what we call containing space, but is this, can we contain space or space, or is, is the temple in space? Where is the end, where is the boundaries of space, you know, as far as we can see? It, we can even see it even with our vision, that it, the vision itself is limited. The senses that we identify with, this sensory realm that is about pleasure and pain, is about change, is about forms. All these are this constant inexorable changingness, impermanence of the forms in space. So death is in space. Death of the body is going to die in space. Does consciousness die when, when the forms die? Is consciousness dependent upon you seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking? You know, these are questions to ask yourself. They're, they're questions to, to help you put it into perspective, the true nature of this moment. It's complete, perfect in conscious awareness. The forms in conscious that manifest in space are all changing, unsatisfying, dukkha. That's their very nature. It's not just being negative and seeing them in terms of life is just about suffering. Because if we grasp that idea that all there is is suffering. That's another creation, isn't it? It's still a sankhara created by avicca or ignorance. So when we talk about enlightenment or awareness, these are words too, you know. So we tend to we tend to see ourselves as unenlightened. So we come to monasteries, take the precepts, ordination, in order to become enlightened, because we want, we can imagine enlightenment, that it would be perfectly peaceful and the end of suffering.
But the word enlightenment is seen clearly, you know, to see in the light of the lucidity, the luminosity, the reality of Dhamma here and now. But is it a person? Is it, you know, and we can say somebody, these forms are enlightened? You know, we do that. We apply because all sankharas are about things, people, places, and things, qualities, conditions. So enlightenment is another word that we can use and use it in terms of personal attainment, some kind of personal ability there to get to realize the Dhamma as a person. But the personality can never be enlightened. Personalities are conditioned, are phenomena. Personality changes. And that you're not the same personality all the time. So even to imagine that, uh, that you are enlightened, it could be the awakened awareness, but the forms cannot be enlightened because their nature is to arise and cease, born and die. So as long as you identify with the forms, trying to become someone who's enlightened. Even when you think you're enlightened, that's not the case, because the very thought, I'm enlightened as a person, is still thinking. The idea of personal attainment. So getting beyond the words and the pointing of the Buddha's direct pointing to the, to the reality of Dhamma, which is here and now, the silence, the space, the awareness. These are not conditioned, they're not personal. They're not limited, they have no boundary. They have no form. But we call it Dhamma, or ultimate reality. Even let go of that word, Dhamma, because it's, it's, not, a, it's not a word. It's, the word points in the direction Awaking, awakened awareness here and now, it's like this. That's the best you can, you know, if you're using language, at least as far as I've found, it's like this. And in this way, it's not a resignation to kind of 
impermanence and suffering and and so it's not the kind of it's like this so what you just have to learn to survive in in this sangsara this changing conditions that's kind of still imagination isn't it even resigning yourself to fate is imagined as some kind of personal inability to deal with with anything other than just surrender to misery so is the first noble truth the reality of suffering is it's not about resignation to misery but understanding And to understand suffering is not to get rid of it or annihilate it, but suffering is the direction we understand is something quite common and ordinary for all of us, that we, when we understand it, when we look at it from awareness, not from personal identity. We have the insight into the first noble truth. There is understanding of dukkha. It doesn't mean that you never suffer after that. It means that, you know, it leads to the second noble truth, the causes of suffering, which are based on the desire Dunha. Desire to become enlightened. Desire to get rid of defilements. Desire to conquer suffering. They can, desire can be very altruistic. Desire to bring peace to the world. <clears throat> Desire to help all humanity. Desire to solve all the problems of political problems, health problems, the pandemic. You know, one can be very altruistic, caught in, in very refined, very grand desires. But that doesn't lead to enlightenment until you understand the very nature of desire is sankhara, avicca bhajaya sankhara, dhanha, the Pali word for desire. As long as we attach to desire, even the most altruistic, the most noble desires, you know, it still is not the it isn't the end of suffering or the freedom from the delusions we create through these forms that we tend to identify with. Third noble truth, Niroda, cessation. Letting go of desire is the second noble truth, to let go. So this letting go is relaxed, it's not about getting rid of desires. 
It's not about fighting against desires and getting rid of them, annihilating all desire. It's letting go of desire. And to let go of something, you have to relax. You know, a tight fist, you can only sustain it for so long, and then you have to let go. Relax, when you say let go, relax your hand. So right effort is really a relaxation, a kind of relaxed attentiveness to the present moment is like this. It's not trying to just forget the present moment, going to sleep, or distracting yourself with something, but relaxing, being the knowing itself, to realize that suffering ends, you know, the, if you let go of desires, of dana, let go of conditions, let go of phenomena, doesn't mean the phenomena ceases. When you let go of it, it means you're relaxing, you're no longer struggling, resisting, forcing, creating more complicated conditions. In this form, monastic form that we inherited from the Buddha, you know, these are complicated forms. Being a human being is very, is a complication. And because we, we have, we feel life, we feel pleasure, pain, heat and cold. These forms are sensitive forms, so we have eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, we have a thinking mind. We can imagine the best or the worst. We can remember the past. You know, how many of you have happy memories of your past? Or are there are memories always happy ones, or are there, you feel guilty or resentful? How many of us have lived lives where we have experienced unfairness, injustice? You know, can you, can you imagine, uh, you can imagine a society where everything is fair and just, but societies are conditions changing, so they can't be ideals about justice and fairness. So we, growing up, you know, we have to deal with, with whether we're fat or thin, male or female, tall or short, whether we're attractive or unattractive. And ideally, we should just accept each other as we are you know, kind of the grand view of equality and acceptance. But isn't there a lot to resent in anyone's life? Because we do experience injustice, unfairness. We're not always going to be appreciated or understood or valued by parents, by relatives, by society. 
So as we begin to notice the past, you know, we feel resentment about things that have happened to us in the past or things we've done that we shouldn't have or feel guilty about. The past is about memory, isn't it? It's, it's very uncertain, unstable. The future is imagination. And now is the knowing. So when the vicha, when we operate always from a vicha, then the future is hope, isn't it? Hope everything goes well, hope I become enlightened. I've lived this life for so long now, I should be enlightened by now. I hope before I die I'm fully enlightened, arahant, or fear, I'm getting old now. My vision's not very good, and so forth. You know, I create all kinds of fears about old age and sickness and death. That's what I can do now out of, you know, just thinking about it. But the future, is there any, is future ever a reality for us? Or we always experience the present moment. So wherever you are, whatever condition you're in, it's always here and now. So it's santidiko or kaliko dhamma, apparent here and now and timeless. Ehi pasiko, come and see, you know, wake up and look, observe. So, you know, there's like an invitation, encouragement of the Buddha to to not just accept life, you know, in a resigned way, or always try to perfect condition phenomena, to spend your life trying to create perfection from what is imperfect, unstable, and uncertain. But to wake up to reality it's about awareness here and now. It's not something you attain. So sometimes in right effort, you know, is that like intense concentration? That takes a lot of effort. Is that the ability to resist evil in all its forces, you know, to resist life? That takes a lot of effort. But letting go doesn't take an effort, does it? It's about awareness here and now, opening, embracing life, the present as it is, it's like this. It's about liberation and freedom here and now. So sometimes this 
it's like this can sound too simple to be practical. You know, you've got, you've really got to work on yourself, don't you? You've got to, you know, really, you know, Pansa Vasa is coming up and we go on retreat, self-retreats. We've really, really got to apply ourselves, you know, this idea of having to attain and get control, resist, get rid of, conquer, become our old words and and forms of of you know, using effort to get rid of something or get hold of something you don't have, but right effort in the Eightfold Path is the simple reality of relaxing here and now, observing, being the witness to suffering rather than the sufferer, being witness to the changing phenomena that one is experiencing in the presence like this. Awakening to the silence that's always here and now, to space, conscious awareness, mindfulness, these words. They're all words, you know, but what with the reality of consciousness isn't a word. And this is what we could trust. Because it is stable. It's not about consciousness changes. Consciousness through the senses change. You know, so when we identify with sense consciousness, what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think, then of course, where, you know, things are very uncertain, unstable. So when we depend on sensory consciousness, like you can go blind, deaf, lose your sense of smell, your memory, dementia, Alzheimer's, lose, you know, get sick, painful diseases, But what isn't diseased, what isn't painful, what doesn't get sick, what doesn't die is awareness, conscious awareness, Dhamma, the perfection. So it's realizing the perfection, perfect, even that word is only a word, but Dhamma is the word that in this tradition, Pali tradition, that we use for that which is here and now apparent here and now, timeless, encouraging investigation. Leading onwards, or where's the, there's no place to go onwards, inwards. Leading to the present moment, awareness, open like a budget tongue. To be realized individually by the wise. So this is wisdom is is now our refuge rather than social conditioning, education, personal views about your own 
wisdom, how you feel. People oftentimes want to become wise. <clears throat> wisdom is a desirable quality. You know, we all like to be considered wise. But can, can uh, condition phenomena ever be wise? Can these bodies ever be wise or our thoughts? You know, we can have wise thoughts, memorize wise sayings of great masters. But the reality of wisdom, Dhamma, knowing the reality in a direct way rather than knowing all about what others have said about it. So I offer this as a reflection.